Introducing From the Glove Box, an automotive podcast with Mike and Tony Tavage, the father-son team and owners of Team T Automotive in Northern Indiana. Today we talk about gas versus diesel, and we take a call with Peter Fink from Certified Transmission. Hey, this is Mike and Tony Tadich from the Glove Box. We're back. A uh, little bit of hiatus, uh, but anyhow, uh, we're uh, Mike and Tony Tadich, Independent Service Center owners in Northern Indiana, come to you with our podcast uh, from the Glove Box. How are you doing today, Tony? Wonderful. There we go. See, he's just full of excitement. Always trying to, always trying to get the get the boy to liven up a little bit. Yep. Have trouble. So, what's uh, what's new? What's going on? Not a whole lot. Not too busy. Not yeah. too busy. Not at all. Tony's got nothing going on in his life. Nope. Just got four kids, ten, three, and twin one-year-olds, but nothing happening. So, no. Nope. Uh, <laughs> so cool. Uh, well, you know. You know, a couple things. It's a busy time of the year for shops in general, and uh, that's what we try to talk to you about. We try to bring you some uh, light-hearted subjects. We also try to bring you, uh, you know, some, you know, maybe things that uh, think about when you're bringing your car into your service center around the country or wherever you go to. We try to bring that to you all the time so you are comfortable when you go to the service center that takes care of your shops. We have been independent service centers now Gosh, uh, 38 years. So uh, we, we've done this uh, our whole lives and uh, want to bring you a little bit of that. So, you know, we have a couple subjects we wanted to talk about. But one of the things I think we'll talk about um, maybe in this subject uh, or this uh, section is gas cars, diesel cars. And then we're going to hit on in another, uh, another uh, section later on. We'll hit on electric and hybrid and all that stuff. But gasoline cars, diesel cars. What's your thoughts with those, Tony? Because I know you're uh, thinking about trading trucks one of these days and talked about getting a, a diesel truck and stuff. And it's not something we've personally had much of. We mostly have gasoline vehicles, but initial thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, e- each has their different uses. In in car stuff, a lot of people look at diesel as, oh, I can get more fuel efficiency and stuff with some of the Volkswagen diesel applications and even Mercedes diesel applications and stuff. Um, in the truck side of things, I think a lot of times you look at a diesel for more power, more torque, a uh, little bit heavier duty, um, sometimes get you a little bit more horsepower um, and things along those lines. But I tell you, the the way gasoline stuff has been going, they're figuring out how to get a lot of horsepower and still get fuel mileage out of cars out of a lot of different gasoline applications too so um i think for me i think it comes down to personal preference in a lot of areas um i think with diesels especially in our uh, area of the country people have to be cognizant of the fact that you're going to want to plug it in in the winter time you might have to put additives in it you might have to deal with deaf fluid you might have to deal with a whole bunch of different uh, parameters what what did you say yeah deaf oh yeah. deaf yeah. fluid yeah, for we know everybody deaf, but there's <laughs> hey, it's spelled different everybody so. out there it's def it's a special additive that you've got to put in in a separate little tank that goes mixes with your fuel um, in most modern uh, diesel pickup trucks. Diesel exhaust fluid. Diesel exhaust fluid is what it stands for. That's correct. But uh, I thought he was uh, making fun of me being old and not being able to hear a little bit. But no, Tony's right. I mean, there's a lot of differences. Uh, um, different manufacturers have come out with diesel vehicles uh, versus 
versus gasoline. I mean, Volkswagen years ago had the big uh, uh, lawsuit over. They were kind of fibbing on their emissions for their diesel vehicles and stuff like that. But it's been a, uh, you know, uh, a hot topic, cars and light trucks for a lot of years. Uh, many people have taken stabs at those type of vehicles. I mean, uh, GM built a... a uh, 350 V8 gasoline engine, which was uh, a diesel engine. It was really a gasoline engine converted. Um, what and, a pile of crap. <laughs> that, they that, stuffed that, those <laughs> in a four-door Oldsmobiles and stuff. Yeah, so. you had a grandmother that had one of those one time. And they, they converted it over to gasoline. I had a customer that brought one of those in about two years ago. And <laughs> yeah, what a nightmare to find parts for. Yeah, I would say this. And right now, you know, in today's economy, depending on when you're listening to it, you know, fuel prices are up. Uh, diesel's really up. Uh, so you've got to weigh all those factors. I think the thing that comes to mind for me is you probably need to be driving a lot of miles uh, to, to you know, figure in the uh, price difference for diesel. You also need to understand there's a, there's a lot of maintenance and there's different maintenance that yeah. needs done on a really regular basis on those type of vehicles. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just a whole nother animal and stuff. So as we look at, uh, you know, different fuels and stuff like that, and again, in this segment, talking about gasoline versus diesel, um, there's a lot, of seg- a lot of differences in that. So you go order a new Chevy Silverado or a Ford F-250, um, I'm not ordering a Ford. Well, we're okay. We're back to that. See, we always get get on that subject. The we point just is about that. The point is, there's you know, there's a lot of people that do buy those vehicles, so we have to be respectful to that. I'm still being respectful. They okay. can go buy it. I don't want to buy it. But you're going to pay how many thousand more for a diesel engine versus a gasoline on average? I, uh, I'm trying to think in the building and pricing that I've done in Silverados lately. So. Um, I think it's about a $6,000, $7,000 difference between yeah. the two, more for the diesel. And I was going to say 10, but you know, that, that may be it's, accurate. It's, it's come down as of recent. I mean, GM, GM, for instance, has started even, uh, setting up the leaders of the engine the same. So now you have a six, six Duramax and a 2,500 and you have a six, six gas engine. So it, they're, they're trying to make them, I don't know more and more equal and trying to drive that price point differently. Yeah. So. Well, and, and be honest, you know, Tony and I drive uh, Toyota Tundras with the V8 and the new Toyota Tundra, They and it's, you know, it's a 12-mile-a-gallon truck, so not a not a great gas I mileage. I don't get to pass very many gas stations. No, so. they don't. I got a bigger gas tank in mine, so I can go further. Yeah, but, I got a heavier right foot. But the, now the, the, the newest models of the Tundras are coming out with a 437-horse twin-turbo V6 with more torque, with more horsepower, and better gas mileage. I think, you know, that thing should be a high teens, uh, 20 miles a gallon, roughly, which is a nice improvement. And you get the horsepower. So I say we take this podcast on video here in a little bit and get your uh, one that you're getting and hook it up to the bumper of mine and see which one pulls which across the parking lot. (laughs) We're not doing that. I bet you I win. I bet you you don't. But anyhow, that's a proven thing. So there's a lot of different ways. A lot of people go to a diesel truck, for instance, for pulling power. If they're pulling yeah. a, a big camper, a big fifth wheel, or you know they're doing something like that, they'll go to a diesel for that, which is definitely a huge advantage. Um, they, they pull vehicles nicely, and they, they have plenty of power with, uh, if you're in mountainous roads or hills and you know those types of things. So there's a, there's a lot of different advantages in there. I would do your research. 
experts, I would check, you know, a lot of the different types of consumer reports and uh, really took a look at uh, different things because there are really good car manufacturers, truck manufacturers that still have problems. Um, you know, we've run into a lot of issues uh, with certain manufacturers' engines that are even five, 10 years old. So um, so you really do your homework on that. That's where your independent service center, like what we do, we get technical service bulletins that aren't really offered to the public. So we can go in. So if you go to your local service center and say, hey, I'm really looking at buying you know, this type of truck, Check with them because they can tell you the goods and the bads and the uglies about that that may not be as publicly note, noted as um, you may be able to find if you Google. Think about maybe like a WebMD for the medical business versus what your family doctor has access to. I'm sure he or she has access to a lot better information than what I'm going to find in a general Google search. Um, well, you, in in think about this too is – you know, for for instance, if you're going over the road hauling campers, stuff like that, I'm probably going to push you more towards a Ford or a Dodge type of application. If you're going to use a diesel truck, how I'm going to use a diesel truck to pull a trailer every once in a while, pull a car trailer, stuff like that, then the Duramax seems to be a little bit more friendly for that type of use um, in, in everything that way. So if you think about, especially in our area of the country, all the guys that pull RVs and that type of stuff, you see Fords and Dodges. You don't see a lot of Duramaxes or Chevy um, or GMC pulling trailers across the country. You see Fords and Dodges. So there's certain applications that are going to fit certain people better. There's certain creature comforts in each of those vehicles that are going to fit you better um, um, is a client. So that's something that you have to weigh your options and look at, and you can seek advice from your automotive repair facility to be able to get that. Yeah, those are all good tips, good advice and stuff. Do some research, count on your local service center that uh, that knows vehicles and has seen those in and out of their shops in the last few years, and they can give you some good tips in addition to what you may uh um, search on that. So that's a little bit about this segment uh, from Mike and Tony Tadich from the Glove Box. So, hey, we're back with you, Mike and Tony Tadich from the Glove Box. Uh, back with another episode another segment uh hey as we uh as we roll into this uh segment and stuff we got a really special uh guest uh good friend of tony and i's and good friend of our family uh peter frank Peter Fink <laughs> from uh, Certified Transmissions and uh based out of Omaha, Nebraska. So how are you doing today, Peter? I'm doing great. Good, good, good. So uh, uh, I'll let Peter tell you a lot about uh, his business and what he does uh, um, in, out of that area and, and uh, some really cool things and stuff. And uh, uh, we'll talk about a little bit about the, the certified transmission business that they have and what they do and the cool things that they uh, continue to do. A uh, little bit about the car collection that uh, Peter has in Omaha and some of the, the great uh, fundraising things he does for local charities and whatnot too so but Pete, Peter why don't you tell us a little bit about certified transmission and you know who you are and uh, what what you do 
Well, all right. Appreciate that, uh, Mike. Uh, I started Certified Transmissions when I was a real young guy. Uh, I think you already gave away the secret that I'm about your age or so. Uh, I was 19 years old, started by myself, me, myself, and I, and a two-bay gas station. One thing I know I didn't like was general repair, okay? Unlike you and Tony running a general repair shop out there, I decided to specialize in transmissions. For whatever reason, I seem to really like those. Uh, over the years, uh, opened up a number of different uh uh, facilities, okay, uh, locations in the Omaha area, and then as we continue to grow, uh, one of the problems that I ran into was building a quality transmission at all the different locations. You're kind of at the mercy of the technician that was working there. So I said, oh, wow, if I'm going to grow, i got to do something a little different. So I started a reman center, and basically in 1984, and brought all my guys together, set some standards, did a bunch of cross-training, and used the same quality parts and stuff like this, and then opened up a reman center, and that gave us the ability to open up uh, uh, 14 retail stores currently that we have. We've got uh, two manufacturing plants, and we've got like 75 distributors around the country that uh, distributed certified transmissions. So... Uh, I've always specialized, like transmissions, always worked on them myself. Of course, I've kind of worked myself out of my first job. I was kind of the technician, and now I've got to run a business a little bit more. But I still get my hands dirty. So, Awesome. So, Pete, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, what that's been able to uh, bring to the table with the car museum in, in some of the philanthropy that uh, Certified has been able to do now uh, due to all that uh, experience and stuff you were able to do? Well, you know, uh, everyone thinks they can run a business. Everyone thinks they can be a better manager than the person that's there. Well, um, I'm going to tell you it's a lot tougher than people think it is, okay? <laughs> and I made probably every doggone mistake you could ever make, okay? But the good news is I usually tried to learn from them right away, and hopefully they uh, they wouldn't crush me or put me out of business or whatever and stuff. Uh, so I want to say I was really dumb, but I will say I was quick study as far as, okay, that don't work. I got to change this and do that and, and things. And so over the years, and of course, one of the things that started doing is try to get some training instead of in the technical side, but on the business side and, you know, how to read numbers, you know, truthfully, a lot of times people become technicians in the old days, I'll say, because, you know, we didn't like school. We could work with our hands. Well, this day and age, uh, as cars are more complicated, uh, um, the guy just working with his hands isn't enough anymore, okay? Maybe for a tire buster, okay? But uh, if you want to work on today's transmissions or today's cars with all electronics and computers and everything, you need special training. Well, if you're going to run a business, you're going to need some training to know how to do that. And obviously, sometimes you can get some of that, that at your community colleges. Obviously, there's uh, consultant companies around the country that you can get some help from. Uh, there are some peer groups that you can join. Uh, I'm in a, in a fantastic, uh, uh, I don't, I want to say 20 group. Okay. Kind of for the terms, some people, a lot of people know what a 20 group is or a peer group with uh, other shop owners. And we share ideas and bounce ideas off of each other and help each other and, uh, and continue to grow that way. Awesome. That's awesome. So Peter, as far as uh, what the certified transmission is, uh, it, uh, size is now, I mean, how many transmissions do uh, does certified put out on an annual basis? 
Well, we build a, right now between the two plants about a thousand transmissions a week. Okay, so over fifty thousand transmissions on an annual basis. That is correct. Wow. And we're growing that. I mean, we're always expanding, and the goal is to go to fifty-five, sixty thousand here within the next year or so. So what is the uh, changes in transmissions? Uh, you know, we've gone from the old, you know, three-speed transmissions from when you and I got started to, you know, to very modern and now eight and ten-speed and all the different things. I mean, how does, how does a company like uh, Certified stay up with uh, all these massive changes? Well, first of all, I'm going to address, Mike, I think you lied about your age a little bit here. Now, there was a two-speed power power glide in there, you know, that when we were around, okay? You're trying to make yourself a little younger, you know? I mean, I had to deal with this two-speed also. And as you said, they've up to 10 speeds and actually 11 speeds on stuff. Uh, um, are we seeing a lot of those? No, not yet. But I we get call, calls on the new ones already failing. Yes, and it's a challenge on technology, just like any part of the car, okay? There's limited um, information out there from the OEs, okay? Actually, there's even legislature that's trying to go through the Right to Repair Act uh, to make sure that they will share this. And the reason why it's important to a consumer is, you know, if they don't share the information with us, okay, or give us the access to the programming and things like this, then you're limited to only going back to the dealer to get repair and needless to say, competition's always good is what helps keep prices a little more competitive, okay, and a little bit more affordable and things. And so if they lock that down and they don't give us access to it or say we're not going to use parts or something like this, and, of course, they've passed legislation in the past, you know, like on warranties. You know, they tried it in the early days uh, saying, okay, for your warranty, you all had to come back only to – the dealer to get warranty. Well, the, they passed legislation that said, no, that isn't incorrect. Uh, a, a consumer can go anywhere, okay? So getting this information and the training, okay, is difficult. A lot of times what we do at Certified is, you know, we buy what books are available, uh, any classes that are put on by either a private sector or possibly the, the OE level, okay? Talking, you know, when I say OE, the dealership level and the manufacturer themselves, GM, Ford, Chrysler, Toyota, Honda, whatever, and um, and and we'll send them to that training, okay, to do it. And then we buy a car and tear it apart and see about how it goes together and put it back together and see if it works. And we never test on customer cars. If we're going to release a new transmission, uh, we buy several cars that we start experimenting with, and we kind of learn that thing before we release a transmission and do a lot of testing uh, ahead of time. Uh, before we ever say uh, we'll take that on, you know, where uh, you know at the dealerships, I mean, okay, car comes in, hey, somebody's got to work on it. <laughs> you know? yep. So yep. Uh, we can take, we can be picky on where we want to go and where, and we don't have to be the first to uh, be working on it. Okay, and stuff. So uh, you know, the aftermarket or the independents usually lag a couple years behind. Okay, because 
warranty purposes. Needless to say, I buy a new car, I'm going to go back to the dealer and get it warrantied by them instead of paying somebody uh, to do it, you know. So uh, training is difficult, and it is a challenge. Matter of fact, I'll be fair and honest with you. I don't know how you and Tony keep up with all the different makes and models and all the different cars. We struggle just with transmissions, to be honest with it. And I don't mean struggle, but, you know, it's a constant, um, I don't, I hate to say battle, but but, uh, you know, I've always joke about it a lot. Uh, I should have became a doctor. I only got two models to work on, you know? <laughs> That's very, that, that is very true. And, you know, Pete, you hit on a really good point that all our, all our uh, tens of tens of listeners uh, should, should hear is this right to repair. And basically, from the consumer's point, that means if you own a Chevy Silverado, you have the right to take that car any or that truck anywhere to get it serviced. Um, and, and manufacturers are always trying to control that so you only have one source. That's not good for the consumer because it raises prices, um, and that's not good, obviously, for the independent shop. So we're always in this constant battle, as Peter shared, that uh, that we, we have to have that right to repair. The ability that you can you can take your BMW, your Chevy, your you know, Pontiac, your whatever, uh, um, you know, Honda, Toyota to an independent service center. And, and Peter's right. It's, it's difficult to uh, be servicing all makes and all models, but that's what we do. And we do that well. But then we use places like Certified Transmission that does a really good job on a transmission side of that. And they know all those. We used to try to rebuild transmissions in our shops. We don't do that anymore. We use a, we use a great company like Certified to, to supply that because they're experts in that sector of the automobile. So that's how independents like Tony and I you know, combat, uh, you know, the, some of the battles that we have with that. Um, I think Tony wanted to ask you a little bit, tell us about this car museum and uh, what kind of cool cars you have in that thing and, and some of the events that you do and stuff. Sure, sure. Well, um, you know, I'm a car nut, okay, and uh, it started a long time ago. I originally uh, still have my original car when I was 16 years old, and since I was in the, the car repair business or transmission business. I really liked uh, cars a lot. And so I liked all of them. I liked GM, Ford, and Chrysler. And so I kind of, when I uh, became more successful, started collecting a few more cars. And uh, and unfortunately, it probably turned in from just a little bit of a hobby to uh, a sickness, okay? Because uh, <laughs> currently, I've got about 142 cars in my collection. Uh, they are all... Uh, in one location, and what we do is we host uh, charity fundraisers where we open up the evening, and people come there, and they pay for to come in, and usually there's a dinner and drinks and stuff like this, and maybe a speaker that comes in or an artist. We've had, like, Coffee Anderson in the past come in and play uh, for the evening and different things, and they have a great time, and it's all for charity uh, events, okay? And we don't just do it for one. I open it up to all the different kinds of charities out there that will f supply the facility. Uh, once in a while, most of the time, they have me talk a little bit. Uh, I could talk all night about all the different cars, but I only collect American muscles. I call it the American Muscle Museum, okay? And basically, it's the late 60s, early 70s uh, muscle cars. 
from that era. And then I collect all the new late model muscle cars that the manufacturers have brought out. I do not have any European ones. If a European one shows up, they got to park outside. Okay. So <laughs> they're not welcome in the building. <laughs> there you go. I'm very proud to say usually each year we raise anywhere between about a half a million dollars uh, a year for different charities. We host uh, somewhere between six to eight uh, events a year at it in Omaha, Nebraska at the facility, and it's been very successful. So. Awesome. awesome. What's your what's your so favorite? I get to uh, play with my cars a little bit, you know. Like I said, I mean, I've got uh, you know, I got twenty six Hemi cars. I got the Fords. I've got the the Boss Mustangs to the new Ford GT to the older GT of Ford, and then of course I got the Camaros and the Corvettes and the L eighty eight and the new and on the the new ZR ones and everything. So, uh, you know, question that always comes up: Do I get to drive them? Definitely uh, not enough anymore. That's for sure. I've got a few too many, and it's a little bit of a challenge, and I have to come up with a little better plan on doing it uh, and how to uh, keep them moving. As you know, uh, having a car sit is not the best idea to, for a car. Uh, they perform a lot better when they're driven and used. What what's one of your favorite cars that you have, Pete? What's what's the prize possession? Well, that's a loaded question. Okay, uh, I've got my original Firebird, so that's what started everything. It was a hot rod car, a Formula 400 Firebird, 1970. Ran really good. It was a four speed, and it had 411 gears. Of course, I didn't know what 411 gears meant, but uh, all I knew is it accelerated pretty fast. So I started drag racing the thing. Well, you know what? When you start racing, okay, uh, you break stuff. Well, as a 16, 17 year old. I had no money, so guess what? I leaned on my friends and said, hey, why don't we come on over here and uh, uh, we'll work on this car and show me and help me and blah, blah, blah. And that's what actually got me into trade school and uh, got me into this crazy business of transmissions. Of course, the number one thing I broke in my car was transmissions and clutches, okay? So I became real good at it. As a matter of fact, when I started school, I hated transmissions and clutches. I thought they were miserable. I mean, I said, what is this? I mean, I want to build engines. I want to be the NASCAR guy, you know, and stuff. But nope, uh, learned how to love transmissions, and that's what I've been doing for the last 43 years, so. Out of the uh, modern cars that you have, what is what is your favorite in the modern muscle car side of things? The favorite car, well, is my Firebird, okay. But if you take that one out of the mix, I do like, on an old car, I do like the Superbirds. I've got a number of Superbirds and Daytonas with a big wing on it. And then if you pick a new car, well, the new Ford GT is pretty awesome. It's pretty hard to beat, okay. I've got the, a 2018, and that thing is... Uh, uh, extremely nice. Uh, like it, good performing car, lots of looks, okay, and stuff after it. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't even know what it is because it's such a limited production out there. And there's, don't get me wrong, I love my Chevelles and the Corvettes, and I mean, uh, I love the Mustangs, and I mean, the Firebirds, and uh, the the GTOs, and all the, all the different cars, okay? It's kind of really hard. I tell a lot of times people, tell me what you want to do, and I'll tell you which is the best car to go do it in, okay? <laughs> you know, if you want to go on a track, a oval course, well, um, you know, then... Uh, uh, the old 60 cars don't work real well on that, okay? But, you know, a GT500, a new one, 
Oh my gosh. I mean, they're made to do that or the Ford GT, okay, or the new ZR1 vet, okay, and stuff. But if you want to go drag racing, well, you better get the Demon out or get one of the old Hemis out or get the old L88 out, okay, and stuff, or the Chevelle 454 LS6. So, yeah, I tell people it'd be easier to tell you which is my best car. Tell me what you want to do, and I'll pick which car does it the best. <laughs> awesome. That's cool. So we also, and we'll wrap up here in a couple. I appreciate you taking the time with us today. But the uh, like the Ford GT for for our people out there listening, cars are numbered as they're built. Um, and I think you were explaining to me like in a Ford GT, you know, one goes to Ford, one goes to the family, and stuff like that. Can you can you give a brief explanation of what number sure. of production sure. you have and and how that works? Well, yeah, definitely. Obviously, we all have serial numbers on our cars, and they start with uh, VIN number one, okay? And it's the last seven numbers on a car of the 17-digit VIN number. Well, uh, usually in Ford's case, they keep VIN number one and number two for Ford, okay? It usually goes to the family, goes things like this, okay? And very rarely are they ever sold. Uh, on the Ford GT, where they brought the Ford GT back in 05, 06, I have VIN number one, uh, number three, which is the first one sold to the public uh, in, in 05. And then they brought the Ford GT back in 17, and I have VIN number three, which one and two are owned by Ford, VIN number three of the 2018 to go with my 05, okay, and stuff. I. Uh, I do have several other VIN number ones, okay, first ones out there. I think I've got seven or eight of them a total, which are the very first ones uh, to do that. GM kind of followed the same principle on, on their Buick, okay. They made a Buick Grand National. Uh, uh, VIN number one is in the Corvette Museum. VIN number two was the mule car that they used for testing purposes, and that got destroyed. VIN number three is the one they shipped around to the dealerships and showed it off in back in 1986. And I have VIN number three, which is the very first one, again, that was offered to the to the public, okay, and stuff. I also have VIN number one, the very first Boss Mustang, when they brought it back in 2012. I have a, the very first one, okay, and stuff. And actually, the latest to the collection is I just got uh, VIN number one from General Motors, uh, 2012 or 2022 Corvette. Okay, I just acquired that one, the very first one. It was actually bought by Paul Stanley from KISS, and he decided to sell it, and I got it from him. Oh cool. wow! That was one you yeah. just you bought in uh, Meekum in Vegas recently. That is correct. It oh. was at uh, Barrett Jackson actually, uh, and I just got it at Barrett Jackson here a few weeks ago. Did so. you get to meet Paul some Stanley? Some of the cars come through, and some of the cars come through an auction, or I get them privately too. I get them both ways. I'm sorry. What was your question? Did you get Mike? to meet Paul Stanley, or did he sign the dash of this car or anything for you? <laughs> Well, I do got a guitar, but he was not there, okay? okay. <laughs> so I did not get to see him. But there was a signed guitar, and as you bring that up, I, I do collect guitars. I've got 53 rock bands, not counting the uh, the one Paul just signed, that'd be 54 now. And they're in the museum, all displayed by all of them, from you know Led Zeppelin to the Eagles to Fleetwood Mac to uh, YouTube. You you name any of the famous rock bands, pretty much I went after and got it. And those were acquired through usually a charity auction most of the time. Uh, this one, of course, came with a car. So, I mean, that's the first one that I've ever gotten that way. Awesome. Do you play guitar? 
I used to when I was a young, about 10 years old, okay? But I have not <laughs> kept it up, okay? Cool. It's not a dream that I'm going to go back and start doing it, okay? That uh, doesn't trip my trigger, but uh, it was fun at the time, and I love collecting all the rock bands, okay, and stuff. Cool. Guitars with their signatures. So, uh uh, awesome story of certified transmission. Awesome story. The name of the museum again is? It's just American Muscle Cars. Okay. Can that be viewed online? I mean, if any of our uh, no, listeners, not too no, much? great question. We've talked about maybe doing that, but currently there is no website for it. So, no, there is not. And it's really uh, only open there to? There may be a couple pictures if you go to the certified transmission website. And we've got an event coming up here on uh, July 29th. And so I think they might have a couple pictures for the event. But uh, other than that, no, we have not uh, done that at the present time yet. And so. it's only open to events. It's not technically open publicly, correct? That is correct. It, it is only for charity events. It's not open to the public. Yeah, which is a great way. So if anybody wants to see that, find out that charity event that's being held held there and uh, be able to... Uh, contribute to a good cause and uh, see some pretty cool cars too so man pete it's been uh, been great uh, having you on today um i know uh, tony and i have a lot of respect for our friendship and uh things that you've done and uh we greatly appreciate you taking a few minutes with us today got anything else you tony know, i appreciate the phone call i'm no, gonna say that it, you know tony we haven't let him say a word i mean me and you've done all the talking Mike. <laughs> no, I mean, what's, what's i'm perfectly with fine with that I mean, <laughs> I, i'm sitting back in awe at the early vin number cars and everything else and thinking man i need to go to omaha so i can see your museum i'm, I'm sure you go. i'm sure get you on could down here and we can we can get you in there and show you off the plant and show you off uh and actually, the plant's online, of course, at certifiedtransmission.com. But like I said, uh, there's not there's a couple pictures for the upcoming event. But you're always welcome, Tony. You guys do an awesome job, Mike and Tony. I mean, so proud of you and uh, and taking care of customers and how you've been growing and uh, and obviously putting customers first, okay, and taking care of all their needs. I mean, it's it. Uh, I, it's, I can't say enough how uh, great it is to know you and uh, watch what you've done and how you take care of people. So awesome job, guys. Appreciate that very much, Pete. Thank you. All right, my friend. You take care. And again, thanks again for taking the time with us. We appreciate it a lot. So. Hey, this is uh, father and son team, Mike and Tony Paddage. Uh, just want to thank you for hanging out with us again today. So you got anything to wrap up, Tony? It's uh, uh, shutting the glove box time. So we'll see you next time on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Make sure you're here for our next one. Have a question for Mike and Tony? Call it in at 888-201-0858. This podcast is brought to you by TMT Automotive and Momentum Drives Marketing.